All right, so today we're, I'm talking about the main ideas from the founder of Superhuman on his appearance of the podcast 20 Minute VC. So he starts right at the beginning. He talks about, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was 15 years old. Everything I've done since then has been to achieve that goal. I've started seven or eight companies with only one prior success, and that prior success was this uh, Gmail plugin called uh, Reportive. And uh, he, he talks about, uh, if you want to understand his, his um, current business, Superhuman, you have to understand its predecessor, which is Reportive. Um, I actually like that he picked up on this. Uh, one side effect of reading so many biographies from, for Founders Podcast is you see the evolution of these people's lives, how they start off young, what ideas they have, uh, what are some of their first ideas, what are some of their first successes, what are some of their first failures, and you realize that almost everything that they learn is carried on later in life as they continue to build the businesses that, you know, uh, they become well-known enough that people actually write biographies about them. Um, so it's, so he's going to talk talk a little bit about how Reportive influences Superhuman here. He says, Reportive was a plugin in Gmail. It scaled to millions of users. When people emailed you, we showed you what they looked like, where they worked, their recent tweets, and links to their social profiles. Two years later, we were acquired by LinkedIn. So it, um, he also talks about, like, in many ways, Superhuman. Not only would, uh, Superhuman has a lot of these product features baked in uh, natively, but uh, the pace at Superhuman was completely different. Um, this entire process uh, was 24 months from launching to being acquired by LinkedIn. While Superhuman, it was, I think, over two years before he even um, started, he even uh, opened the, the uh, product up to the public. All right, so he says uh, he started working on LinkedIn for, uh, as a result of the acquisition. So he says, while I was working on LinkedIn, I saw Gmail getting worse every year. It was becoming more cluttered, using more memory, and it was slowing down your machine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he's, he's setting up like the, the foundation for why uh, right now would be a good time to build a brand new email client. And this reminds me of um, the founder of Lux Capital, I've, I've talked about it on the podcast. I've also uh, taken notes on some of his podcast, uh, some other podcasts. He's in past episodes of Founders Notes. Um, his name is Josh Wolf, and he has this really simple idea to find opportunities that you could turn into companies. And he just says, look around and ask yourself what sucks. And so um, when I heard uh, Raul say this, I was like, oh, that sounds like uh, Josh Wolf's idea. It's like, hey, Gmail sucks. And so this, this uh, discontent that he had with Gmail turns into superhuman. So he says, so I asked what Gmail would look like if you built it from scratch using today's technology. Remember, Gmail, I think it was launched in 2004. So, you know, over 10, 10 years old at the time, um, he, starts, uh, he starts working on Superhuman. So he says, we imagined an experience that was blazingly fast. Search would be instantaneous. Every interaction happens in 100 milliseconds or less. I think he chose the 100 milliseconds or less because I read somewhere that if something occurs in that time frame, it, it seems instant to your brain. Um, an experience that had all the best plugins built natively and yet somehow was subtle and minimal. Um, so uh, when I, I previously took notes uh, on a podcast that Raul, Raul was on, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his, his name. You know, I, uh, you guys know that I can't pronounce anything correctly. Um, but he, I read this, this essay that um, he has an essay on how Superhuman built an engine to find product market fit. And he talks a little bit about the flywheel in that. I linked it in the email. So definitely if you're building a product, take time to read it. It's uh, rather long. It's about 20, 25 minutes to read, but uh, it's, it's worth your time. And the reason I bring that up here is because he's going to talk about what he thinks about like what a founder should be doing. 
Um, so he's going to take some uh, a concept he talks about and expounds on that essay. Um, so he says, I liken the job of a founder to making a really heavy flywheel spin faster and faster. When you don't have capital, you have to figure out a way to spin that flywheel. The normal way is to build a great product and get early users that love it. That was the reportive story. I single-handedly got that product to tens of thousands of users and then used that traction to recruit co-founders, get into Y Combinator, and raise a seed, a seed round. And then something he's, uh, he said that was rather interesting is uh, after, since he's, he has a uh, like proven track record, uh, he says, when you're starting a company for the second time, you can do things in reverse order to kind of understand why Reportive happened so fast because he, it was out of necessity. It had to happen fast. He, was, he didn't have much resources back then. He's saying now he worked backwards. Basically, he, he raised a seed. Um, he raised money before he, he didn't have a prototype. Basically, this is what he had. He says his initial concept for Superhuman was just one picture of Gmail with all the parts he didn't like inked out in red. Okay, so he's doing it backwards from the, the, the way he did Reportive. Okay, so um, the reason he took so long to launch is because he, he has this idea. He's like, you shouldn't, and I'll get to it in a minute, but you shouldn't be, um, you shouldn't put pressure to like have fake growth. Like you should find product market fit first and then gather resources to increase growth. So he's like, before launching, I was looking for the classical definitions of product market fit. Paul Graham's definition is you have it when you've made something that people want. Sam Altman's definition is uh, it is when users spontaneously tell others to use your product. Uh, then this famous, uh, probably the most famous definition, at least the one that I've heard uh, referenced most, is Mark Andreessen's definition, which is you know you have it when customers are buying your product just as fast as you can make it. Usage is growing just as fast as you can add servers. Money is piling up in your checking account. You are hiring sales and supports. Uh, support staff as fast as you can. Um, so he, he realized all of these are, they're telling you, like, they're describing what it is after. But he's like, I want to optimize for this. And a side note, um, I read Mark Andreessen's blog archive. Um, you can actually download it as a free ebook. Um, and it, he has a lot of good ideas in there. I actually turned it into a podcast. So if you haven't listened to Founders Podcast number 50, I linked it in the email. Make sure you listen to it because he's got a lot of really good ideas in, in that blog archive. All right, so he says, when he's, he's looking up all these definitions, he's like, I realized we weren't there yet. So I wondered, could you measure product market fit? Because if you can measure it, you can optimize for it. And it turns out you can. I just needed the right metric. So he comes across this, this uh, guy, I think his name is Sean Ellis. He was responsible for growth at a, um, several companies. Um, and he came up with a uh, leading indicator. He says, the leading indicator for product market fit is asking your users how would they feel if they could no longer use your product. And it's on like a graded scale. So you have multiple different, um, op 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 uh, multiple different options to choose from. And he says, the companies that struggle to grow get less than 40% of their users to say that they'd be very disappointed. So... If 40% or more of your users would be very disappointed without your product, then you have initial product market fit. I had laser focus on that metric. And again, if you want more details into what laser focus means, read that, um, read his essay on it. Uh, you can also listen to it at the time. I like what they did because it's very similar to what I'm doing here. So he wrote this essay, but there's also uh, it's like a SoundCloud link at the top that you can listen to it. I think it's like 25 minutes long. So he also talks about something I'd never heard of before. Um, and he says, you should understand 
who the people are that love your product. So not that part. I've heard that, obviously. He said, to do this, we use the high expectation customer framework created by Julie Supon. Um, I linked to an article, to an interview with Julie Supon um, that defines what the high expectation customer framework is. It's actually really interesting. Actually, let me read you. Um, so I'm just going to read, uh, the interview is much longer, but uh, it says, positioning is the big bet a company is making over the long term, says Supon. It is the strategy for building your business, product, and brand. It's the clear action plan that will translate into positive revenue, happy customers, and a great place to work. Your position isn't your messaging on your product roadmap, but it is the foundation of every decision you'll make along the way. I love that uh, that idea of like brings in my mind like the idea of a north star that you orient all your decisions around. Before you embrace where you're going, you need to understand who you're talking to. And this is a quote from her: "Identifying the one thing you really do well that is original and defensible is the first step. Then you have to align your business, product, operations, and marketing to ensure that you are building precisely what customers need." even if they didn't realize they needed it until it came into their lives. And so it talks about, he says, to kick off her positioning work, Supan walks founders through five key questions. I'm just going to read these questions to you, and then I'll get back to, to the podcast. Who is the customer that needs uh, slash wants your service or product most? Why does your product or service matter to them? How do they feel about your product or service? What is its true benefit to them? And will your product exceed their expectations? All right, so that's a little bit about the high expectation customer framework. He's going to continue to expound on what it means to him. He said, you can describe the framework this way. The highest, the highest expectation customer is the most discerning person within your target demographic. They will enjoy your product for its greatest benefit. They will spread the word and others will inspire to emulate them because they seem clever and insightful. Okay, moving ahead. Uh, so he talks about um, that superhuman, uh, the team of superhuman. He says, we are intense fans of customer feedback. We've impl- implemented one of the more sophisticated feedback triage systems that I've seen. We have tens of thousands of pieces of feedback that are logged against the feature and the person, meaning the person giving the feedback, uh, and, and the, uh, they break down the person as who they are and what they're asking for. And to do this, he uses Airtable. Um, He says, when we survey our customers, we ask them, what is the, oh, this is a really interesting idea, actually. Check this out. When we survey our customers, we ask them, what is the main reason you love the product? I take these responses and throw them into a word cloud. When you do that, the reason people love your product will be staring you in the face. That's a really cool idea, right? All right. I think you should stop pushing. This is uh, what I was referencing earlier about about, uh, he thinks people are working backwards. I think you should stop pushing for premature growth before product market fit. This ends in disaster. The pressure for premature growth is all too common. Use my suggested iterative uh, iterative process. Oh my goodness, I can't pronounce any words today. Iterative process before focusing on growth. That's the essay I, I, I mentioned earlier and linked in the email. Our approach to, oh, this is another great idea that I've never heard anywhere. Um, and again, it, it's kind of counter to... Um, it's kind of counter to, you know, uh, conventional wisdom, if you will. So this is our approach to onboarding new customers. It's considered to be crazy. First, they have to take a survey that pre-qualifies them. It lets us know if they are likely to be a happy user of superhuman. So he's filtering. He said they have to pre-authorize a credit card. This shows us they have an email problem and they're willing to pay for a great solution. Then we spend 30 to 60 minutes over a Zoom call. 
the magic of this onboarding method, so they're meeting one-on-one -on -one with each client before they're able to sign up. So the magic of this onboarding method is we are able to filter out the people who don't really have an email problem. It doesn't make sense to use the world's fastest email if you're not getting, if you don't, if you don't use email f uh, for a large part of your work. We, uh, this is him talking about, it kinda, uh, this is what they were referencing in the high expectation customer framework about, hey, who is your, the most discerning person within your target demographic? Focus on them and ignore everybody else. It's an example of that. He said, we can really focus, going back to the onboarding, we can really focus on delivering the best possible service and personalized insights to each new user. Now, this may sound crazy to you. All I would say is go on Twitter and search the superhuman mentions. And you're going to hear, or not hear, you're going to read a bunch of people talking about how great it was, this onboarding, this bizarre onboarding process that takes 30 minutes to an hour of their time. And they really feel like that they, like they're being trained and now they're more heavily invested to the, to the point where they're paying $30 a month, a couple hundred dollars a year just to use Superhuman. And last, I'll leave it here. Uh, he had a book recommendation, which I found fascinating. I've never heard of this book. I'm, I'm going to check it out. It says It's called The Art of Game Design by Jesse Schell. Um, and then he says, I would strongly suggest any product designer study game design. Our passion about this area gives us a significant advantage. And he elaborated a little bit where he was talking about, hey, products are getting so good. Product design is getting so good. We're in the golden era of this, and there's no better products. If you think about like the largest single properties or video games, um, that you're really at a disadvantage if you're not studying that because that's how high the bar is. So, all right. I hope uh, this audio message slash email slash podcast slash weird thing I'm doing is useful. I hope you learn really fast and, and quick, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.